The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, professional family mediator. Today I have two guests, both clinical psychologists, Dr. Carla Fry and Dr. Lisa Ferrari. And I'm going to invite the two of you to introduce each other to the audience. So, Carla, tell me about Lisa. Okay, great. What a fun idea. Well, Lisa, I know her to be a very caring clinician. She's a fun person, and she does really hard work. Not dissimilar, I think, to you in your practice in a lot of ways. She, her clinical work focuses around helping families and kids and youth through a lot of big life transitions like divorce and separation. Um, but she's a really eloquent speaker and really, really enjoyable for me to work with. So that's Lisa. I'm, I'm pleased to introduce her. All right. Well, Lisa, tell much, me about Carla. Carla. <laughs> You're welcome. So, so it's my turn. My turn to introduce Dr. Carla Fry. So I am very pleased um, to have her as the co-founder of the Real Parenting Lab, which is our online um, website where we provide free information to parents. She's also the co-author of a book that we've just recently written, and that was an amazing process to, to do, um, to go through with Dr. Fry. And uh, she's, she's definitely known for some of her more out-of-the-box kind of techniques um, with kids um, and families. Um, she primarily focuses her practice in the area of medical psychology and um, works a lot and is very, very well known for her work in that area, as well as treating various mental health conditions. Mm-hmm. And I think both of you have held um, mental health positions in children's hospitals, and you've been teaching and supervising students at three different universities. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. three different universities here here um, in Vancouver, British Columbia, Simon Fraser University and the University of British Columbia and also Adler University, which we, we enjoy a lot. Right now we've got um, um, a practicum student in our practice, the Vancouver Psychology Center, but we also enjoy going out to the universities and teaching. We're doing a guest lecture spot on uh, positive psychology uh, interventions with families and kids, in fact, this week. Okay, and that's our topic for the day. We're talking about raising kids so that they will grow up to be kind, grateful people. Maybe they'll even be kind and grateful while they're children, and <laughs> rather than feeling entitled to get whatever they want, you know, without even being nice to people. Indeed. Um, 
So I think you've worked with, it's clear from your book, you've worked with a lot of kids and a lot of parents who were having difficulties in this area. Um, tell me about how kids get to feel entitled. How does that happen? Sure. Well, I mean, uh, partially we're going to answer this as as a team and partially we're going to answer it um, through the uh Data that we've we've gleaned and read through and beat to, beat um, to its constituent parts for for the book, but also from our experience. And you know, um, let's start with the experience part first here, Dr. Ferrari. I I think we both see that it's through really well intentioned, well meaning parents who are doing their darndest to have their kids have a comfortable life, be happy, have opportunities, have really, for some, things that they as a parent didn't have when they were a child, or um, they are really feeling when the child is bored or sad or uncomfortable and not really comfortable with their child having those feelings, so doing everything they can to make their child happy. Dr. Ferrari, would you add to that bit? Right. So when we, you know, parents don't typically come in and and say, you know, you know, they don't come as a presenting problem. I have an entitled child. They come in saying, you know, I really hope that I'm doing things right. You know, I don't want to mess my kids up. I just want to make sure, um, you know, that they're confident and they're feeling good about themselves. But most of all, you know, I'm finding that my kids are not appreciating, not appreciating, you know, the things that we do for them. Um, and sometimes we'll use the word spoiled. Um, and I think that it's because there's, there's a lack of an alternative word for them to use. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a word that sort of helps the communication in terms of describing what kinds of behaviors they're seeing at home and that they're concerned about. Right, because everybody kind of understands that word spoiled, except for the fact that that sort of gives the responsibility for what's going on, that demanding whining can't be okay without having needs met business sort of puts it on on the shoulders of the kids where we have clearly come to understand that it's more of a entitlement encouraging system as opposed to the kids are spoiled, right? Yeah. Well, I think when you say that a child is spoiled, there's an implication that the parents have spoiled the child. (laughs) There's, there's, the responsibility lies with the parents. Yes, but yet somehow or other. And I should say um, that I have a lot of empathy for parents dealing with this dilemma because I was one of you. (laughs) I, I remember thinking to myself when my child was four years old, my first child was four years old, and she could talk me into giving her practically anything she wanted. And I thought, oh my gosh, um, I've been so good at giving her whatever she needed or wanted before she even knew that she needed it, that she has no concept of, um, you know, just taking no for an answer. Right, and, and that's a well—that's a well-intentioned parent. That's also a parent that may um, feel as though they want to overcompensate, maybe for the time that they're away, whether it be at work, or the time maybe that they're separated from a child as well, because they're on a one-week on, one-week off type of parenting arrangement, 
with their parenting time. And so sometimes there's that that well-intended, you know, intention that, that, you know, you want to see that smile on their face. So you want them to feel happy. You want them to feel good. Um, and yes, comes out a lot. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I've got a six-year-old. I, I, I use the... I say yes often as well, but there's a balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think one of the points you make well in your book is that children are not born with a sense of entitlement. If they have that sense, it's it's because they've learned it. It's because their life experiences have led them to believe that they have a right to have whatever they want without even necessarily expressing any appreciation for it. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, when when kids kids aren't born um, with that preconceived notion that you ought to do for me and I and I, uh, you know, need all my needs met right immediately. Obviously, we meet the needs of our infants um, absolutely and immediately. But when that doesn't shift through the years, you know. Like well, what, whatever. I, when when our when our children ask for a activity or a or a, a treat or a toy or whatever it is in a demanding snippety fashion, and we deliver it to them, we're just we're just going ahead and and um, letting them know that they can be snippety or rude and get their needs met, and that if they kick up enough um, sass that they don't have to wait or be patient or feel discomfort um, about not thing, right? So those are the some teeny little bits that we can shape this entitlement without ever, of course, thinking that we're doing so. Mm-hmm. Now, is this a problem only for parents who are wealthy enough to give their kids whatever they want? It most certainly is not, although on the surface of things, it, it would, it, you know, a lot of people assume that that's, that that's the case. I mean, there's no doubt that um, a family that is very, very well endowed with, with wealth and opportunities, the, the, the things that they give their kids might have a higher ticket value, right? They might give them, um, you know, a, you know, a new whatever kind of car when they turn 16 or, or um, you know, trips abroad when they um, graduate from high school or whatever all else, and, and families that have not as many financial means might, might give things that are, are not so expensive. But that's not what this is about. It's much more um, that when the checks and balances are out of whack. They're, they're not lined up when a child doesn't contribute to the family but still gets rewarded anyway. When a, when a child um, is very demanding and gets rewarded anyway, it doesn't really matter how expensive or, or not that the opportunity or the thing is. It's about not appreciating and in a way not Earning. I mean, we talk in the in the book about um, the concept of a family currency, um, wherein what value do the do each of the members in the family um, sort of place on particular? Like when when mom makes uh, a sandwich for 
uh, the 10-year-old, does that have less value than the 10-year-old um, making a snack for the parent? In most families, that, that's the case, and that's fine. But what we talk about is when, when a child's effort or cooperation or what they bring um, is out of balance with what they receive, that's when we get into the problems. Mm-hmm. Um. Um, Maybe I'm switching gears a little bit here, but I want to mention that when we talk about a child being spoiled or entitled, it initially sounds as like a criticism. It's a criticism of of the child for being whiny and and demanding, or it's a criticism of the parents for raising the child to become whiny and demanding. But you also point out that this has long-term bad consequences for the child. And I'd like you to tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. Well, we know kids that, you know, that are not that we sort of, that whose parents will come in and say, you know, my child's spoiled. I mean, these, these kids are often kids that are not feeling happy with themselves. These kids sometimes find it very difficult to connect to their peers. Um, especially when their peers are not maybe behaving in ways in which they're used to, which is um, where they don't take on that role of meeting their every need, or they may not um, adapt or support that child or their peer um, when they're not getting their way. So it becomes difficult when the outside world doesn't respond to unmet needs as it does, as as the inside world, as in this within the family system, right? So, so that's that's very difficult for children, right? They, it's difficult for them. They're not as resilient in their relationships. They have more problems in their relationships, um, right? They, the other kids are, see them as high maintenance or needy or irritating that way, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but, al- um, but also, I you know, in terms of with not being able to to sort of bounce back and be resilient through difficulties. These are the kids that have more difficulties in high school or in university, if that's what they choose, or even getting up in the morning when they're young adults and going to work because it's, it's uncomfortable. It's cold outside. They don't really feel like it. You know, when they were raised to not really feel, have, have to figure out a way to cope and deal with, with difficulties, you know, um, in, that, in that way, unwittingly, um, the, the family shapes a young adult who just kind of can't cope very well, and, and more times than not, especially if there's a genetic sort of predisposition in the family, then, then that lands right on the doorstep of mental health concerns, right? These, these kinds of kids are not very resilient, and as they're young adults, we, we see more depression and more anxiety disorders, and that's not obviously what any of us want. Mm-hmm. So if we flip that around and say it the more positive way, then we're saying if you teach your kids to be grateful and teach your kids to be kind and teach your kids to tolerate being uncomfortable for a while or having their feelings hurt a little bit, you know, you you kind of let them go through those experiences, then they turn out to have happier relationships with other kids and more confidence in themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yes. I mean, it's a combination, and it and it's a it's a fine dance because each of our kids need different things for, from us, right? If if I had ten different kids, I wouldn't be parenting them all in the same exact way. Some kids need really, really step by step teaching around coping skills. You know, when you when you're having rotten negative thoughts, these, here's four or five different things that you could possibly do to cope with that. And the next time you're having a rotten thought about somebody being mean to you or you feeling like the it was an unfair call on the soccer field, I'm not going to come and save you and tell you what to think. I'd like you to try to work on these kinds of ways of thinking on your own and then come and we'll talk about it, right? There's a lot of coaching around um, helping kids to actually learn the the ways to get their central nervous system calmed, the ways to get control over their thinking that, so that it's calm and grateful and kind, as opposed to the old, old school way of doing things, which is, you know, the, the buck up and deal kid, right? I don't want to hear about it. Just like, just deal with it. There's, there's no way that we're, we're, we are writing the book or coming from the perspective that we want parents to go back to that just buck up and deal with it junior way of being. Right, but we yeah. don't want parents to either swing the other way on the pendulum and be completely indulgent, right, and, mm-hmm. and permissive and be overly child-centered where children are making decisions that the parents should be making. Or right. there should be a combination where we're hearing what kids are needing, um, but also letting kids know that it's a, that it's still an adult decision. Right. Uh-huh. One of the things Such that your book like does well, I think, is is explain, you know, just at different ages and in different situations, this is what's reasonable to expect of children. This is what's reasonable right. to require of children. These are ways mm-hmm. that you might change your own behavior so that you're setting a good example for your kids and so on. We're going to take a short break now, and I'll be back with Carla Fry and Lisa Ferrari talking about raising kind and grateful children in a minute. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions. Especially in cases of divorce, far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Family members too often find themselves in court arguing about separation, parenting schedules, financial issues, divorce, estates, or care of an elderly relative. There's a better way to solve a family problem. Work with a professional mediator in private, confidential meetings. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. 
This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin talking with Dr. Carla Fry and Dr. Lisa Ferrari about raising children who are kind and grateful and happy. Doctors, um, I would like to ask you, you've, you've made it clear in your book that you think this is a package deal. Being kind and being grateful tend to go together. And being kind and grateful also tends to go with happiness. Tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. Well, well, typically kids and individuals alike, I mean, adults as well, who are happy tend to, tend to be engaged in acts of kindness, tend to be kinder individuals, um, and they also look for the good in life, right? So in terms of being grateful, I mean, it's, it's about looking around you and it's a way of being in the world where you can appreciate and be grateful for the things that are around you. And so um, there is definitely a relationship there between people that practice acts of kindness and have gratitude in their life and maximize positive emotion are happier individuals. Absolutely. And in the last half a dozen years, thanks to our brilliant colleagues at University of California, Berkeley and Davis and, and, a, and a lot of, out of uh, University of Pennsylvania, the positive psychology data has been just racking up really, really recent stuff about the, the correlation between um, uh, being grateful and being able to be satisfied even when life is not tickety-boo perfect. I mean, there's, there's, lots of, there's lots of other positive qualities that the, that the data links this, this ability to appreciate, um, you know, uh, less, less colds and more um, meeting of goals and general optimism and more energy. And, like, I mean, the, the data is just so impressive. But, there, but there's no doubt that, that grateful people tend to be less negatively impacted when things go wrong. They tend to bounce back to being okay, if not happy, sooner. And happy people tend to be able to see that silver lining quicker and easier and more efficiently. The good thing is, is you don't have to be born terrifically happy or you don't have to, there's not like a, a, um, you know, a, a magic spell around gratitude. All of these things are so learnable and parents through subtle techniques and paying attention to can model it. And it's, it's, we, we often will say it's the, it's the simplest concept. It's extremely complex, but it's 
simple. It's learnable and doable, which is really where the bulk of um, the, the book is focused on. How do you do this thing? Okay. Let's talk about that a little bit. What is uh, your basic advice to parents? Uh, do it. <laughs> walk, walk the walk. Okay, so what that is, is first of all, you know, there, there, are, there are folks that are just sort of like, well, I don't know, that sounds kind of hocus pocusy. The, those people do well with re- reviewing the data, which we do spend some time going in. Like the, 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 um, the st- statistically valid studies that demonstrate that the things are correlated. It, we don't, we, once the people see it, they're like, okay. So I understand why why this could be important. Um, but first, figuring out not just ways to be fake grateful, like uh, in ways where I am saying thankful, but I, I'm thankful and or I'm I'm appreciative of, but I'm not really feeling it. Um, a, a child isn't going to buy that, and that's not going to actually be helpful. Figuring out first as parents, how do we truly appreciate people? opportunities, things about our lives, and how those things came into our lives, we need to be able to touch into that first before we're going to be any good at modeling it or teaching it to our kids. Um, Dr. Ferrari, do you, do you agree? I absolutely agree. Um, absolutely. I mean, it, we, have to, we have to be able to model it by um, doing it, speaking it, and and truly believing that it's that it's important and that it's something that is valued. And I think that when parents are doing it, kids are more likely to do it. It can happen in written form. It can happen through conversations at the dinner table. It could happen in family meetings. Um, but there has to be this authentic belief and that needs to be translated to the children that this is something that we value. This is something that... Um, that we want to practice within our households. And sometimes I even start with parents and have parents engage more to dialogue with each other so that they can just experience the, the impact relationally between the couple and how connected they can feel to one another when they gratitude dialogue with each other. And once they have even just that experience um, and, and, and frame of reference to the impact that it has on the two of them, then it's easier to teach to their children. Yeah, and and that that gratitude dialogue sounds like, hey, I appreciate the thing you did. Hey, I appreciate the thing you didn't do. Hey, I appreciate, you don't have to use the word appreciate, but it's it's acknowledging the the effort or the kindness or the the thoughtfulness of the other. So doing that first um, before even getting down to trying to figure out how to do it in front of the kids is, is fantastic. Okay, so let me check in and see whether I've understood you correctly. When you say parents should start by just doing it, the it you're talking about is is having in themselves an attitude of gratitude for the good things in their lives and then yeah. expressing that. So yeah. first, mm-hmm. you, first you want to notice what you have to be grateful for and then you want to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. and express appreciation to other people when there are other people involved. Yes? 
Mm-hmm, absolutely, and it and it's that you know mindfulness is is a really hot topic um, in in the media and in popular culture right now. It's it's a way of being mindfully appreciative, right? It's not just like wow, you know that muffin was really good. It's like you know what that muffin it really was good. I don't know what they put in that, but there was like a cool little texture on the top, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, so not to perseverate on that for 90 minutes on the muffin business, but to really appreciate it as opposed to, yeah, yeah, that was good. And then, you know, gulp, I just kind of gulped it down in two bites. It's like being really paying attention to not just the big things. I mean, people who are, who are more like get it done, sort of naturally type A, are, tend to look for the big things like, yay, you know, we can afford a house this year or wow, you know, it's really fortunate that um, we have an opportunity to take a vacation. Those things are really good. But it's also the elegance of this, of this gratitude business is in the small moments. And w- when we're working with kids and sometimes with families, one of the ways that we do that is by breaking it down into the five senses, right? right. Think about That's something you smelled that you really enjoyed today, etc. And that really helps parents because sometimes kids will say, I don't know what I'm grateful for. And so when we help parents just say either it's a small, medium, or large thing, and we give them examples, or we focus on the multi-sensory. So their sense is something that you tasted, something that you heard, something that you saw. It really helps parents teach kids how to do it. And I, you know, it just, it reminds me of a session that I had with a 10-year-old who I um, actually wrote in the book, I I wrote her description of her favorite dinner. And it was her mom's turkey dinner on Thanksgiving. And, you know, this was the first time I did it with her. And, um, and it was just amazing what she came up with that I asked her permission to put it in the book. Um, she described the dinner as your mouth is drooling, your taste buds are tingling, as your mind is transferred to happy land. A world full of pies, candies, unicorns, and rainbows. Your stomach is having a dance party of goodness, and everyone is screaming because it's so good. Wow. That you didn't have to teach trip. that kid very much. No. It was, she just gave that to me so easily, and I thought, that's perfect for the book. That'll help, that'll help parents understand that kids, kids can do it. Because sometimes parents will say, my child won't do that, right? Um, and so we just, we have to be creative. And that's why we put in the multi-sensory experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it makes it more doable, especially for, yeah. for families or kids who have been really previously attuned to just like picking out what's going wrong. Like I didn't make that goal. I got too wrong on the spelling test. Um, you know, uh, I, it wasn't fair the fact that my friend got to, you know, uh, go up and present before I did, who are really attuned to the sort of like negative sort of stuff in, in a way, like I want to make this better, I want to make that better. There's two different ways to, to attune to things. Well, there's a thousand different ways to attune to things, but if you want to simplify it to the look at what's, what's already going right or what's, what's, what's worth appreciating versus just focusing on what's good enough and what needs to be fixed, that's, it's quite powerful, the difference. Mm-hmm. I guess you've talked about some of the simple things that parents can do to set a good example for their kids. Um, is there anything you want to add on that? Um, I mean, one of the things, we probably both have a little bit of, of things to add, but 
Um, I think one of the most important things is to make sure that you that you are engaging in gratefulness um, activities. Now, the activities could be, you know, what are the three things I'm thankful for uh, before, like, say, before bed or, or at dinner or first thing in the morning or uh, whatever it is that you like to do in, a, in an everyday kind of format or seeing, having the kids see you or at least sometimes see you writing in a gratitude journal where you just jot down one or two simple things um, that you appreciated or you were thankful for would be different if you didn't have them. Um, the every day or as close to every day, this doesn't have to be a, a two-hour event. What's more important is the regularity with which you practice it and the regularity within which your kids seeing you practice it or talk about it or, or whatnot because then that becomes normative. It becomes an expectation. It becomes a, huh, our, our family stands for this. Right. Mm-hmm. And so making sure that, you know, the modeling is there. They're not seeing those cracks where, you know, I know parents, and I'm a parent, we all have our moments. But when we're, when we're talking about being grateful and then within the household, and that's a value that we want to instill, and then we show something very different in the outside world, um, you know, whether it being not being so kind or grateful to, um, you know, somebody at the grocery store um, because you're frustrated because there's a long lineup and just being very aware of the modeling that you're doing that contradicts maybe the value that you're trying to instill at home with your children. So you want to you want to make it as authentic as possible. Um, and and if you do have those moments, I just think it's, well, we believe that it's very important to at least speak about it and acknowledge the behavior that maybe wasn't so kind and wasn't so grateful. Yeah, yeah. You know, the things that can, we, we live in a consumerist society where, you know, um, uh, advertisers, well, their job is to help us to believe that our lives will be better or improved or easier or whatever it is if we if we purchase their product. And it's pretty easy to get into, uh, I wish we had a nicer car or I wish we had a bigger yard or I wish we had this or that or the other kind of a, a dialogue. Well, we really just encourage parents to try to re-script that, even if, even if it's still sort of their tendency in their head to go to, gee, I wish I could work less or I make more money or I this or that or the other thing to try to to try to when they notice themselves thinking it or or when they when they hear themselves saying it to to just kind of go hang on a second this is going to be a cue in which I can uh, pay attention to what I already do have or what we already do have and if if something sneaks out in a gee I wish I had you know a, a better pair of fancy boots or whatever it is when you're in the mall just to to, to say to our kids afterwards, you know what, I realize that that was kind of like the old me in, in like, I want more, I want more. And, and I realize that I, I need to lead this family and, and focus more on, on what I already appreciate and what I do have because I want you kids to be able to be happy with what you've got while still striving for more. So, you know, whatever it is, each parent has got their own way, their own vocabulary. But just, just to basically face it and speak it and say, hey, I slipped on that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we have a couple of minutes more before break. Um, I wonder about uh, empathy. That's something you mentioned in your book that I think we haven't talked about yet. 
Mm-hmm. How does empathy mm-hmm. fit to this picture? Dr. Ferrari, you want to lead in on that? Well, you know, if you're used to the world revolving around you and others coming in to meet your needs, it will be difficult to have empathy, right? So um, empathy is um, in order to understand other and to be empathetic to other, you need to be attuned. And, and when, when a parent is overprotecting their child um, in a way where they're meeting their needs before they have a chance to even self-regulate or understand what they're feeling, it's going to be very difficult for them to have empathy or understand the feelings and emotions of others. And so in our practice, we'll do things like um, have kids um, identify the feelings and the emotions of others, whether it's through, um, well, it can be through visual. Um, you know, I used to send kids out with, with cameras to take pictures um, around their community and come back where we would look at them and we would, and I would have them guess what emotions um, the people in the pictures that they were taking uh, photos of were, were experiencing. I know Dr. Fry likes, um, you know, having families watch movies and, um, and just pausing the movie and having a still frame there for kids and families to guess what the emotions are to help kids with empathy. Yeah, and okay. depending on... Great tool. On the- I'm going to interrupt here because oh, yeah. it, we're going to take a break and okay. we will talk more about raising kids who are going to be grateful and kind and uh, resilient. Good people. We'll be back in a minute. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Sadly, that's wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, or co-parenting, there is a better way. Family mediation. Save time. Save money and make good plans for your children. Visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. 
voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radioshow at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. On Family Matters today, I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and I'm talking with Dr. Lisa Ferrari and Dr. Carla Fry about raising children well. Um, uh, you can find their advice and lots of great resources online at realparentinglab.com. And we're going to talk now about what to do if you discover that you've gotten in trouble. You've allowed your children to develop a sense of entitlement and they're not grateful and kind. How do, how, what do you need to do to fix that? How do you start to change your family? Okay, well, I think, I mean, we, we both, when it's possible, obviously the, the younger your kids are to catch it, the easier it is. It's not impossible when your child is 16, um, but it is harder. So let's just be truthful about that. And, you know, there, there are sometimes when parents have come in and the kids are already in their 20s and they sort of feel like they've spent all of those years coaching them in a way uh, that they didn't mean to, to sort of be self um, centered and demanding and whatnot, and, and that's that's a lot harder. It's still not impossible. At a certain point, if you've got adult kids, it's it's really about primarily you changing and almost hoping in a fashion that, that your kids will follow follow you. But if your kids are still at home, there's still lots of things to that can be done. Um, you know, we we talk about taking a good look. Each each parent who wants to make impact on this, and hopefully, if if there's um, more than one parent in the home, there can be some sort of agreement where, where both are going to roll up their sleeves um, uh, in an equal sort of fashion to do this. But uh, we talk about it, adjusting beliefs um, in, from the perspective of the parent that um, your kid's emotional discomfort is all your job or that your, your kid's emotional comfort needs to be like tickety boo, um, calm, and and that your child needs to be happy all the time. We, you know, because we know that kids that haven't had an opportunity to live through little bits and pieces of adversity, that they're really emotionally weaker. So taking a really good look at your own philosophy before making changes is important and understanding that some adversity, some ability to, to deal with, with boredom or, or um, you know, difficulties with, with their friends or whatever it should happen to be, helping them to figure out how they might want to fix things with a teacher before, before going in and um, fixing it on their behalf is important. But you have, parents have to look at what their belief system is, I think, before they can take action on that? Would you agree, Dr. Ferrari? Yes, I think, I, I think that, I mean, that's an exercise that we often do with parents at the very start is ask, ask them sort of what their 
who is it that they want their children to grow up to be and really get them grounded in their own value system. And a lot of what they value doesn't necessarily reflect on their approach to parenting. And so we really try to help parents look at the bigger picture and not at the behavior or the reaction that is in front of them at that very moment, which could be distress, a tantrum, uh, for example, um, whining or just upset. I mean, to be able to stop and think for a moment and say, okay, is it my discomfort seeing my child in this state going to prevent me from supporting them in the way that's going to give them the tools to be resilient when they're faced with these challenges. Yes, so, and, and thinking about that, like, the short-term, like, saving our kids uh, from whatever it is, um, long-term will likely make them less able to fend for themselves or to solve problems or to be confident in their own ability Right, so we're thinking about how we're, we're not trying to stress parents out in any way. We're, we're everything that we have written about and we consult about is all about how you can make it better. So we want to really focus on that, that things are so so changeable, and we don't want to make this so burdensome and 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 um, have parents rolling around with feelings of guilt and analyzing everything that they say or do. That's for sure. But sometimes thinking about, okay, my gut is really pulling me just to fix this um, and do for my, my child. Just stop and pause and say, okay, short term, medium term, long term, you know, five minutes, uh, five months, five years, what's going to be the impact of what I'm going to do? Probably. Just to put that filter on sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because in the short term, you'll have a happy child. In the short term, you'll probably have a very thankful child. Um, but long term, that's not what you're getting in the moment you are. And so it, it, it momentarily relieves the child and your own feelings of distress around seeing your child in that state. But it's not the teachable thing that a parent wants to um, execute long term. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so getting them connected to what they value and who it is they want or want to help their child to become in the world and how their parenting is going to reflect that day to day. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Ferrari, because we always start with values, right? If you, mm-hmm. n- No one wants their child to be needy, clingy, whiny, difficult, um, overly sensitive, all of that kind of stuff, but taking a look at what we, what we do value. You know, like, obviously, most parents value um, success and happiness for their kids, but um, they also, most parents that we talk to, want their kids to be able to be independent and um, self-sufficient and, and able to problem solve. So, you know, giving, giving our kids an excuse from cleaning up the dishwasher um, or um, uh, making their bed every single time they've got homework to do or every time they've got to rush off to uh, a really healthy, amazing sporting activity that they're able to um, take part in. You know, maybe we want to do that sometimes, but we don't want to have them have no responsibility just because of um, some of the other things, which, you know. And I think that another piece, too, is just, you know, families where they feel as though, you know, the entitlement bug has already hit them. I mean, you know, really paying attention to overpayment, right? I mean, that's, that's another piece that parents can really reverse, you know, right away. And yes, they're going to get 
some strong resistance. But overpaying is is when kids help out around the house. I mean, they don't need fifty dollars to um, to you know as a reward or as a payment um, for helping wash the car um, or for helping out around the household, um, especially if earlier that day there was a situation where, you know, your child wasn't particularly kind or had more attitude than usual. There's a mixed messaging there um, in terms of, you know, you can, you can behave like this in the morning, but by afternoon you're going to be heavily rewarded for doing something that's just Kind and like over, overly rewarded doesn't even yeah. like make sense in terms of the reward. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 through through what you were just saying and what I was just saying moments before also, um, what we what we want parents to know because a lot of times parents will say to us, well, you know, we've already we've we've already built this beast. Like we can't reverse it. There's there's no way. There's there's always a way to soften it. Always. And just going to, well, it's going to be too hard. It's going to be too difficult. We already have too many fights. Um, uh, my kid's already 12. Like, what's the point? Um, we just really want parents to know that it's m- most certainly never too late. And sometimes, and a lot of times it's a lot of work, um, but having a plan, writing it down, um, staying in touch, like, on a, on a weekly basis with what aligning how, how we parent according to what our, our values are, it's very possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to mention that I really like the, um, the little program that starts on page 57 in your book, the Quickie Entitlement Crushing Gratitude Boosting Exercise. You know, you've just <laughs> taken it step by step. This is what you can do with your kids to get them on the right track. You know, step one, meet their needs for love and connection, food, clothing, and shelter. Step two, teach them to communicate well. Instead of saying, I'm thirsty, coach them to say something like, I'd like a drink. May I have some orange juice, please? And it goes on. So one of the things I like about your book is that it does have such concrete advice for parents to take, either to get off to a good start in the first place or to correct the course when things have gone off track and, and children have started to feel entitled and rude. Thank you, Dr. Colin, for recognizing that. We, we have, uh, uh, we've been consulting a really, really long time, and so we've, all, we've gone through and figured out a lot of things that work for a lot of people. Not, everything, not every technique works for every single family, but we really wanted to have parents who, who took the time to read this book come away with a lot of how-tos, how-tos, how-tos. Great. And one of them is about what you praise your child for. You could praise your child for being intelligent, or you can praise your child for putting in an effort. Tell me about that. Yes. Um, well, that is a big one. And um, uh, what we know um, is that when kids are praised for a static quality, like being smart or being um, uh, good at math or good at um, uh, gymnastics or good at something that those kids, when they're praised in that way, when they come up against difficulty, they tend to give up sooner and choose easier tasks in order to, to look great, in order to be like, yay, look at me. Whereas uh, kids that are praised 
for their work ethic, for not giving up when things get difficult, for, for, fi- for appreciating the challenge of a thing, for working hard, for all, all, all of those bits that are really hard to measure, and sometimes they're even hard to see from the outside, but once we, when, once we attune ourselves as parents to those things, we can see them better. Those kids give up less in future during challenges. They keep going through difficulty, and they have better self-esteem because the, the, the fact that not giving up is a quality that anybody can do. Having an A in math or, or being the best math student, not everyone can do that. And if kids don't achieve that, and if that's the standard that you have to be the best or the most spectacular uh, basketball player or whatever it is, it's really easy for kids to give up. So we don't want we don't want parents to never say, you know, um, uh, good job out there. But what we do want parents to say is, hey, I saw the look on your face of determination, and I'm so proud that you're that way. Hey, thank you for for inviting me to come and see your play because I feel really special that you wanted me to come and see that. Thank you for making me like a part of your world. There's so many ways to praise, but it's it's very much in the ish, in the in the approach, in the in the integrity, not in the in the outcome, if that makes sense. You, you, we want to really encourage parents to focus on the process rather than person-centered praise. Um, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with being the smart kid, being the athletic kid. Um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of anxiety that can come out of the expectation that child's going to feel every time they get on a soccer field or every time they've got to write a test to maintain the title as well, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's that expectation that this is how the world sees me and I need to somehow maintain that. Yeah, um, and that I'm not good enough if I, right. if I don't. Yeah, mm-hmm. right? Okay. You make a good point in your book about telling your child that he or she is special. Let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yes. Um, special, special, we want parents to be able to differentiate between I love you, you are special to me, I think when you do this, draw this, show me this, it's, it's amazing to me and reaches my heart as opposed to you're special from the perspective of you're better than the other kids. Because you're my kid, you should be chosen first on the team. You should be given the best, the biggest piece of cake at the, at the birthday party because you are basically better than everybody else. So that the, the special bit or you shouldn't have to work as hard you should you should just automatically get this advantage just because you're you that's the differentiation between the your special business and and we find that a lot of times parents don't understand that when we begin to explain it so we spent some time trying to break that down in the book mm-hmm. we're coming close to the end of the show I want to let people know that if they have found this interview helpful, they may also want to look up the recording of a program that I did on July 14th, 2015 with Sura Hart about respect and cooperation in families. And perhaps also the show I did on August 25th, 2015 with Jessica Leahy talking about how important it is to let your children fail sometimes so they can learn to handle failure and bounce back from that and try harder. 
In this last minute of the show, Dr. Fry and Dr. Ferrari, is there anything that you would like to add or repeat for emphasis? Oh, that's a good one. Hmm. We definitely want every parent to know that there's no need for uh, guilt or judgment or pointing fingers in any of this, that we are here as your cheerleaders to help you to get the information and the technique to do it different. And even if for the last however many years you've been doing it one way, it's still possible to make gratitude more front and center and to help your kids to be gentle and kind beings. Okay. Thanks very much. I will just close by reminding people that they can buy your book, Gratitude and Kindness, A Modern Parent's Guide to Raising Children in an Era of Entitlement. And also they can find lots of great resources at your website, realparentinglab.com. Thanks so much. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.